Hi, welcome to Speakeasy, the cybersecurity podcast by ESET. I'm your host, Tony Anscombe, and today I'm joined by my colleague, Cameron Camp, an ESET security researcher who, this week, has been on the show floor at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. Hi, Cameron, and welcome back to Speakeasy. Yeah, thanks. Good to be here, and good to be at CES. This, is, this show is huge. It's amazing. Well, and it, maybe it's worth just pointing out the Consumer Electronics Show is, of course, one of the largest shows of its type in the world and carries very significant influence, both in electronics and in direction for government policy and stuff like that on, on these types of uh, gadgets. So this year has been different, though, with many attendees and exhibitors deciding to stay away due to the, the COVID variant surge that the US is experiencing. But putting that all aside, Cameron, if you had to put one highlight out of the show that you've seen so far this week, other than that fat burger that you sent me a picture of, oh. what would the highlight be? I'm, I think that automotive autonomous vehicles are just ubiquitous and all of the technology surrounding them are everywhere here and all the way down to farm tractors, things you wouldn't think of as consumer electronics, giant half million dollar tractors, giant semi trucks, uh, space equipment. You know, they had a sort of a modified mock-up of a sort of a commercial space shuttle. We've never seen that before here at CES. Well, so let's let's go back to to that. So, auto, automotive is obviously a big thing, and it's going to affect um, a lot of people's lives, you know, in the next maybe 10, 20 years. And I say that because, although living here where I am in Silicon Valley, yeah, you know, it's hard not to actually go out onto a road and not see a Tesla. Um, you know, in a lot of places in the world, autonomous driving and electric vehicles are, are still very new. So what are the changes, though? I mean, what is coming down that pipe in three to five years that's on the show floor at the moment? So first of all, um, it's not just your transportation. It's the construction segment. So, for example, they have an electrified uh, mini excavator, if that means anything to you, and a skid steer. So these are things used around the job site and the construction site. Well, so all of a sudden the economies change when when doing work on a building in your area. I mean, that's that's kind of crazy. Um, it's, it's more, it's going to be more difficult to find something that does not have, uh, you know, an electrification or, or autonomy, uh, baked into it. Now, at first we'll see that that comes as a bolt on. We saw John Deere's, uh, booth where they have a bunch of technology bolted on and, but increasingly there'll be more tight integrations and more features. And so you, you'll be able to, for example, control your giant tractor or see what your tractor is doing from your smartphone. And I don't think that's when we, when we started thinking about putting batteries in the cars in, in Priuses and the like, I don't think we really quite, quite knew what to expect. And that's the magic of CES. You don't know what's going to be next, but you can come here and get ideas and it shapes, it actually becomes a bit of a prime mover into what's next. And it is interesting to see how companies, I mean, you mentioned John Deere for tractors. It is interesting to see a company like that with a bolt-on kit, for one for existing tractors, so uh, you know, a farmer doesn't have to go out and buy a whole new tractor to take advantage of this. But one of the concerns I kind of start thinking about is, you know, a tractor is a big industrial piece of equipment, 
And if you look at accidents that happen with tractors, one, the person is near the tractor, obviously, when it happens, they can be quite severe. I mean, if you get caught up in farm machinery or whatever. But what happens when uh, this is now run by a smart app? Okay, you've got no people near the tractor, but does that mean, you know, for example, if I'm chemical spraying, yeah, and the, could somebody take control? Of, is it possible somebody else could take control of that tractor and start spraying more chemicals, or or make it drive through the local town, spraying yeah, spraying its chemical everywhere? I, I'm just kind of curious of is this adding a risk? And because farming to me is critical infrastructure. Yeah, indeed it is. In fact, uh, all the way up to the federal level, they're looking at what's called, called precision agriculture. <laughs> And it's not a small thing. It's a very large thing. I mean, you think uh, you go and eat your breakfast and your dinner and whatever you eat. And where does that food come from? Well, it comes from somewhere um, where there's large fields or large industrialized agriculture. And so if you think about even a sort of the, the food supply chain, uh, to your question, how can you guarantee that it has not been contaminated? Uh, you mentioned maybe we get the spray in the wrong place. Maybe that's not a source of fatalities, but, but it certainly, um, keep in mind, many of these farms are quite remote and so they don't have very robust connectivity. And a lot of them don't have robust, uh, technical expertise on their, on their farm staff. They're, they're primarily interested in getting a product to, excuse me, to market. So, so they're interested in getting a product to market. They're not, they're not that tech savvy. And so if somebody was thinking about doing dirty deeds, and was able to hack one of these platforms, which since they're modular and they operate across multiple platforms, not just tractors, not just combines, uh, lots and lots of things. If they find a vulnerability and they were wanting to target a certain, certain tech, uh, section of the food uh, supply chain, that could have a massive impact if it actually uh, works its way down through the food chain into the store next to you. And that is a lot of steps. And a lot of those steps are going to be um, monitored. I mean, the, the argument is that, well, we can get very precision agriculture. That's the primary argument. To do that, you have to have, there's a lot of steps in that chain. And so here at CES, we think about, we get a chance to look at all the steps in that change, all the way from uh, GPS communication to, uh, you know, line of sight communication to smart apps to, and, and if there's a, a, a you, if you think about the early days of electrification of cars, they were kind of clunky and kind of, you know, boxy and kind of, you know, sort of rudimentary. That is where precision agriculture is today. That gives the bad guys a chance to look at it and think what kind of exploits could be developed against this platform. Yes. And of course, then there's the supply outside of the farm as well, isn't there? You move from, you know, the tractor that's actually producing the crop you know, as part of the production of the crop. And then you've got the trucks that are going to take the produce from the field to the, the packing factory and the packing factory and then on to, on to retail. And, of course, we've seen, uh, and not just here in the U.S., but we've seen across the world a huge shortage of truck drivers. And as we saw before Christmas, there was a huge supply chain issue of goods actually getting to retail, both because of dock workers and a lack of truck, work, uh, truck drivers. So, you know, autonomous trucks would seem very logical. And... Yeah, I assume you've, uh, well, I'd like to think you've been testing one up and down the strip in Las Vegas, but I, I doubt that. They won't let me near them. Oh, yeah, that's a shame. But Even though I, I did I, let my 
I did have my commercial driver's license, but they're not take they're not buying it. They're not letting me near their their autonomous trucks or their or their electric trucks. And they just said get away. But I assume those type of uh, environments are very much on show at, at CES. Oh, absolutely the uh, <clears throat> the whole the whole supply chain. I mean, all the links in the chain, absolutely are in full fo- are in full focus. And uh, and it's not just you know it's not just the trucks. It's it's all all the links in the chain from production. I mean, uh, sensors everywhere. And so we we mentioned on one of the blogs about you know that this is the first year CES I think has more sensors than people, and that's not just because of uh, you know because of the 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 current world health situation, but but it's just because you would have to have all those sensors to really make that whole that whole chain work, and so supply chain security becomes huge. I mean, it, it's a huge subject. Um, and we talked before the show the. Uh, this is not going to all happen all suddenly. I mean, farmers aren't going to run out and and all get these uh, these these sensors. But one of the motivators from the farmer standpoint is limiting inventory, um, limiting waste, and so the the, the corollary of that or the the, op- the problem with that is the uh, for years we've we've seen the just in time manufacturing, and just in time manufacturing is is fine when it works, but it's so heavily reliant on every link in the chain working. They do that to reduce the inventory cost. They don't want to sit, they don't want a yard full of materials sitting there for six months. They want it sitting there for uh, three weeks because they don't have to pay taxes on it. And so there's this big effort at um, moving back towards more inventory. I mean, if we're settled, we still controlled by technology, but if the goal is to maintain little as little inventory as possible, that also means it opens you up to supply chains. Why? If you have, you know, one box of cereal in your house and you can't get any more, uh, that's a problem. But if you have two or three boxes, well, maybe you're okay for a week or two. Uh, the same is true with the industrial uh, processes in the country. If you're a manufacturer, you maintain two or three weeks of brake pads for your car, uh, you're going to be okay. It's just how do you just that, justify that to the investors? Not enough cereal in your house is a bit of a first world problem here in the US. I mean, just have toast or something else. But um, but I suppose if you think about a farm, I mean, farmers can actually only plough fields during daylight hours. But once you make a tractor autonomous, uh, you could pretty much plough the field day and night. So so you actually increase the farming day as well. So potentially you, you open up complete new avenues. And uh, Fred, yeah, I, I look forward to seeing some of that technology. If, if I don't know whether you've watched Clarkson's farm on Amazon uh, of Jeremy Clarkson <laughs> no. on his farm, I'd look oh, forward no. to seeing him test some of that technology on his farm because Mr. Clarkson and technology don't tend to uh, tend to get on very well together. No, and to your point, uh, one of the expectations this is this is, and we we talked a little bit before the show as well. Um, the expectation is that a farmer can produce between 12 and 16 hours a day of productivity. Uh, if now the expectation is that the farmer, once the time of harvest comes, um, is going is going to be expected to produce, uh, you know, 24 hours, 20 to 24 hours a day, and then you don't, as a farmer, invest very heavily. I mean, you're talking about half a million dollar machines. If you don't invest, you're a bit. It's going to be a, a critical disadvantage. So. The expectation is that that you're going to be driving 24 hours a day, and the similar to trucks which are on the road, the expectation is that the truck is going to 
be basically refueling at some point, whether that's electric, whether it's diesel um, or, or hydrogen, like some of the uh, offerings have been here at CES. Um, either way, what is the reason for the truck to really shut down? It's going to be running all mm-hmm. the time. Uh, what happens to the small operator? Does the small operator, can the small operator compete? Because you, you have to write in the logbooks, I slept this many hours, I, I drove this amount uh, of uh, per day. Uh, what does that mean for ride, ride hailing services? I mean, the cars will always be running. And that's a, that's a crazy new way to think of technology. That's a bit of a sea change. So does that mean we're going to see uh, on-the-road re, uh, refueling of truck, electric trucks? I mean, that's a thought, isn't it? Um, and, I, and I say that with, with great jest, but however, it's not either. Um, I know Rivian uh, have in their pickup truck, if the truck is being towed, it will actually charge while it's being towed. So it, if you had the scenario where long-distance trucks don't have charging points and they can tow each other, Potentially, they're charging each other as they're being towed. I mean, it's kind of a bit, bit of a weird, weird picture, but it does. You might end up with trains of trucks uh, on long distances. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. Who, who knows what the future will look like? And you mentioned the, the supply chain thing. I mean, right now in 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 the state in state of Oregon, they are already seeing the return of triple tractor trailers. So clearly, I mean, that's, you know, that that's the version we now have of, of trains. I mean, the three truck, you know, tractor truck uh, containers. Uh, what's to say we don't have six? I don't yes, know. It's certainly an option, isn't it? And uh, so what about the other cool gadgets that we see at CES every year? I mean... Yeah, can you fit an 80-inch TV into your house? I mean, <laughs> or whatever the new size of TV might be. But I'm you assuming they've got new, bigger, and more fancy TVs than last year. Uh, they do, and also um, they're the strong move to 8K, um, you know, because uh, I guess you need to see every detail on the guy's eyeball across the foot, the, you know, the football field. Uh, in the stadium, uh, apparently. But the, the 8K, 8K TVs were... I mean, the, the clarity and the brilliance is quite amazing. Um, and the technology is there. So um, there is that. And also, the, so there's, you have screens moving up and you have screens moving down. There is a lot of effort surrounding uh, augmented reality uh, for things even like, like medical equipment, where the doctors uh, would be working in a surgical suite in the, in the resolution on those uh, displays, whether it's a TV, whether it's a, you know, a head mounted display or, or, or glasses or whatever it is, uh, the resolution, the detail is just, just fantastic. Yes, and I, I did see a couple of announcements from uh, somebody making smart contact lenses where the contact lens has some vision in it. Uh, another one I saw I think was actually very consumerish, but you can imagine it being used in uh, a medical world as well where the glasses actually give you the vision from a smartphone. But you're seeing, so you're seeing on the inside of the glasses the 1080p resolution. Now, if you 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 are a remote surgeon and somebody's got the smartphone over the patient somewhere else, and you're seeing exactly what the smartphone sees in absolute clarity, then you're probably going to be out in in a good good spot to help them operate on someone. So there's huge amounts of technology, and it's great to see all this innovation. Um, but what what else? What what would be the takeaway consumer gadget from your side? Um, boy, it's so hard to it's so hard to pick one. The 
Um, you know, uh, yesterday uh, I walked three and a half hours before lunch to get around part of the show. It's just so daunting. And we have some, and we have a lot of vendors that, that backed out at the last minute. So they were concerned for safety. And uh, you can understand that. You can definitely understand that. Um, but I think I think the the sheer power of what's going to be available. You mentioned the, the TV screens. It's it's not just large screens and small screens. It's flexible screens. It's about this concept of you, you are always surrounded by this data, and it's presented to you in a way that you can use with the augmented reality. And there's just booth after booth of people that are trying to find new ways to make data sort of available to you, you know, all the time. And, and in ways that you haven't really thought of, like now you have sort of autonomous submarine drones. And so if you, you know, always wanted to go deep dive down to 300 feet or hundred meters, the, you, you can buy this thing for a few hundred dollars and, and it will go to places, you know, you didn't really think about. Um, I don't know about you. I don't own a submarine. Uh, don't, you might, uh, I don't, um, don't, don't have a hollow, hollowed out volcano or anything. So, um, so these new gadgets, uh, are, are, are quite, are quite interesting. Yes. And it's interesting when, when you talk about something like, um, a submarine, I mean, I assume, you know, you think of some of the disasters that happen in the world where miners get stuck in caves and things like that. I mean, technology that can dig down and go go rescue people or go into the sea and rescue people that are are elsewhere. I mean, there's there's lots of use for, for technology like that. Uh, and it's great. It really is great to see good innovation. I mean, as for the experience in the house of never, you know, data presented to you in every way possible, I'm not so sure. I, I still live in my non-smart home with, uh, yeah, with the data stopping at the gate somewhere, <laughs> yeah, and my tin hat. Uh, well, and you mentioned emergency. Actually, there's quite a lot of of uh, effort being surrounded surrounding emergency rescue, uh, emergency operations, or hazardous operations. Um, in former life, I worked on a, a submarine rescue submarine, and this is the thing you fly around the world on a C5 and, uh, and you drop it in the water and it rescues people who are stranded on a submarine. Um, and so there's some pilots and, you know, you can rescue a crew, but, uh, you know, why put pilots in harm's way? Mm. And so it's not just that it's rescue of a variety of types and the health, the health sensor uh, monitors where you can detect a heartbeat of somebody. Let's say if they're buried under a building, if there's been an earthquake or something like that, um, the ground penetrating radar the, and the LIDAR in the way you can sense uh, vital signs in, in ways that, you know, we didn't really think about before. And it keeps uh, people out of, har- out of harm's way so that there's a huge in, in that huge uh, surge in that. And also, I mean, it's sort of related to that, you know, all that, all the e-health. I mean, there's an intersection between, well, okay, I want to find out somebody that's been trapped in a you know, in a burning building and I want to find out how many people are in that building. So I need LIDAR and I need to, you know, do some sensors. Um, but also um, that could be transported into uh, e-health, remote health. You know, health is going to change in very profound ways um, because of the global health situation right now. And people don't, people are reluctant to go to the hospital. And so it's a good boost sort of, you know, vicariously uh, to to launch a whole fleet of sensors that will you'll be able to use at your home. And so you won't need to go to the hospital as much, and that's going to save lots and lots of costs. Uh, 
And now not everybody is going to do it. But um, as you mentioned, not everybody has a smart home. Um, I don't have a smart home, smart home working in security. You know, you're a little bit paranoid. And but but in terms of remote health, uh, these sensors are 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 going to be embedded in 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 a lot of the products you use. And it'll be it's going to really change healthcare in really profound ways. Uh, Why? Because the doctors and the healthcare providers are going to get a pretty accurate view of what your health situation is when you're in the comfort of your home, when you're not stressed out by going to the doctor's office, when, when you're sleeping. I mean, some people, when uh, my wife goes into the doctor's office, her, her blood pressure goes up because she's there. And they say, why is your blood pressure high? And she says, because you're here. I, I sympathize with your wife, but you raise some, some interesting points. The sensors will change uh, healthcare. Uh, and actually, you know, People may think, well, that's a long way off. Uh, it's not so far off because if you look at professional sports, for example, uh, a lot of Premier League soccer players, football players, uh, actually wear a sensor on the pitch because there's been a number of issues where players have had cardiac arrests on the pitch. And they're actually a lot of these players are actually now monitored. So the teams actually make them wear a medical monitor. So they well, know the health impact. of the players on the pitch. I mean, impact as well. I know in the, in the US, the, you know, the football... The impact of football, uh, you know, the peak loads on football, again, sensors, you know, deployed in a different manner um, can detect what the severity of the trauma was. So in the same way, your car responds to a level of stress to determine when to deploy the airbags. Well, that's an accelerometer. It's it's all those same those same technologies that now are applying to professional sports there. I mean, they're all throughout professional racing, uh, automotive. And the F1, they had an autonomous F1 car uh, here at CES. And uh, my friend who's a car enthusiast, he says, it'll just be a matter of time before all these cars will just go to watch a remote control race of F1. I mean, because there's that many sensors and there's that much data. And if you look at the data that comes off of all of air pressure and velocities and temperatures that comes off an F1 car, it's a fantastic amount. And does anybody really want less data about the person? Uh, in that car or, you know, their health or the person on the football pitch that, that, you know, could potentially prevent injury to someone who's going to pay millions a year. No one wants less data. They want more. Yeah. And, and that will shift, as you said, into, into the consumer, uh, consumer world. So with that, this is speakeasy, Cam. Now you're in Vegas for the week. So I, I'm assuming you, you've got some sort of elaborate cocktail that you've been drinking this week. <laughs> you know, uh, Magners on tap. Uh, I, I don't think I've ever really strayed that far from my Scottish roots. I, after all these hundreds of years, I, I sort of leaned back into these sh- shady little pubs with fish and chips. And I don't know, I, I think that's my destiny. So uh, Magners it is <laughs> at the moment. And then well, I'm Vegas. currently on the uh, post-Christmas non-alcohol binge, but yeah, I will just yeah share that last time I, we were in Vegas, in fact, uh, for Black Hat, uh, that tipple of uh, an old-fashioned, yeah, which was quite an elaborate old-fashioned, and we'll leave that it at a, that. Yeah, there, was, there was a whole, there was a craftsmanship to that. I did never, I'd never, never been around. Yes, yeah, it was when she started burning the barrel. <laughs> smoking the glass that, that i think that was the uh that was the most impre- impressive part but we, we shall leave it there so there's one other there's one other device that i've picked up on this week cam that i think is is kind of interesting because at first when i looked at it it's it's how do you make this digital uh and it's pepper spray and 
you know, that little gadget that some people carry either on their keychain or, or in a bag or in their pocket to feel safe, especially at night if you're walking around a town. They carry that little pepper spray to keep themselves uh, away from harm if, if somebody did attack them. Uh, now, how do you make that digital? And this is super interesting. So Sabre, a company that have made these devices for years and years and years and are, have a very good reputation, have an app. And what happens is, you know, at the moment, if you drag that thing off your keychain and spread at somebody, you know, you're then into running away and calling for help. But what this thing does, uh, and I think this is a great, interesting use of innovation and technology, if you press the trigger on the spray, it dials your contact, your emergency contact, directly from the phone. So the sprayer is connected to the phone. The phone in your pocket will then dial your emergency contact, give them the location and where you are, and suddenly you're going to get help. Yeah, that's really the intersection of two things. It's um, They're looking for ways that are sort of not as not as lethal, and they're looking for ways to do that through sound waves and through light and through a bunch of technologies. And that's also tied to the panic button apps, you know. So, uh, again, if you have a smartphone, that then you enable the GPS uh, notification. And, yes, it could call your top three contacts. So that whole emergency response is going to be really interesting. Um, certainly, you would be able to probably enable video so you could mm-hmm. capture, you know, what is actually happening in real time. Uh, and, and in some cases, uh, I mean, you run into this, I mean, ride, I ride bicycles and, uh, you know, you dogs chasing you on a bicycle is a huge problem. Uh, and, um, so, so they, they're trying to think of ways. I mean, of course you could do something destructive to the dog, but uh, nobody, nobody likes to do that. Um, so how do you, what other non, you know, nonviolent means are there to deter an attacker? And, and so there's, there's just a variety of ways to think about that. And, and no, I don't want to ride my bicycle and throw a net over a dog. Uh, I'm very likely to get in the crash. So that is, that is, that is super non-trivial and how to do that. And so they do it through sound waves, really, very loud waves, something to shock the attacker in the case, uh, jolt the dog into, you know, not chasing you. But, um, but those are all tied together. So, so uh, whatever they come up with here at CES it still has to be tested in the field. Um, and, and then what happens if there's a liability aspect if something bad happens to that person who's using that app? So it's not just like you fire and forget, pardon the pun. It's more like, here are some ideas at CES and let's mash these up into something that's interesting. But there's a lot of testing that has to be done. Again, like in the dog example, we don't want to hurt the dog. Um, but we want to just deter that we want to get out of the situation of harm. And so, but what happens if we then are harmed in, in some way we hadn't thought of. So that's really interesting intersection of like humanity and technology. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I will say that this particular gadget is not a future. It's currently available on Amazon. So (laughs) I'm just saying that some of these things are reality and out in the field, which, which is good. Uh, and yeah, if you've got a loved one that carries a pepper spray, I strongly recommend they go upgrade themselves to smart pe- pe- uh, pepper spray so that it does that automatic cooling as well. But with that, um, let's wrap this up and let you go back off to the show floor. Uh, this is the last day of CES, so I'm interested to, to hear what your takeaway is after today. And uh, safe travels, Cam. Thank you. Thank you.